Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. So, Steve. Hello, James Nicholas. Man, was this a great episode or what? Banger. Banger. And here is why. Okay, I know we say this every time, but here is why I'm going to say this. The amount of actual detailed information we got was like low. Probably the lowest of any episode we've had, if I'm being honest of like specific content of like, well, what were the specific keys to your recovery? What Mm -hmm. did this look like? Moment by moment blow. But one of the most spiritual episodes we've had. Right. Totally. Just, you just knew, right? It reminded me of when I first heard Chris and Autumn. And I remember calling Kayla because I was so new in recovery. I couldn't have told you the details anyways, even if they had them. Right. And I just remember saying, I don't know how they're doing what they're doing, but these people are so for real and they're totally doing it. And I feel like that was the spirit I felt with Chris and Marilyn as they were sharing their story. Oh yeah. Is like, look, they're, these are changed people. Like oh, God yeah, is doing right. his work <laughs> and the disruption. And, this yes. is full Paul Saul. And, this is, yes. this isn't, this is heavyweight title round. Yeah. <laughs> battling for souls. Yeah. If if you ever wondered whether or not God notices us or if he even or if he has would have the audacity to like come after us, God came after these guys. Oh, it, it, in like a in like a <laughs> in an unmistakable way. Right. Right. Like some like what's that? It's and it's the Old Testament scripture, right? Like God is not in the fire, right? He's not in the wind, right? He's in this still small voice. And that's true. But not this time. But not this time. And, <laughs> and sometimes he just is. And I, and I think that's important because I think we forget like our God is a God of miracles. And this, like, there's, they are a walking, living, breathing, miracle. freaking miracle. Yeah. Like, this is, this is, and this is honestly why I love our show is just like when people are like, well, once an addict, always an addict, or do people really change? Or, you know, she's staying because she's naive. When I hear these comments and I'm just like, dude, you have no idea. This is one of those like, you don't believe in miracles? Listen to this. Listen to this. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that. (laughs) Except I think we need to put in here. So um, Chris freaking blogs. Yeah. He's a, he's a fellow blogger of yours. Yes, yes, and and it's interesting. He's this is his first year doing it, coming in, and so he's uh, www.recovery-light-life.blogspot.com. Yeah. So uh, link in the description, link on our blog post that goes along with this. Um, I guess we can kind of cheat, right? We should just instead of having to rewrite Chris's story, we can just copy and paste from his blog. I think that's what we'll do. It's so well written. Yeah, it and, is. And it, uh, it is very um 
excellent, great description. Because you commented on this yes, prior to sitting it down. It's super well written. It's it's uh, it's a compelling read. He, you can tell he put thought into each word he put into there. It's beautifully written. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, inspire and and just some fun things, just some canon fun things in this one. And so, I, I mean, we could just keep talking forever. But um, if you're listening to this, we love you. We hope you stay. Um, this is a longer episode, but well worth it. I yeah. promise. Um, worth stay. Um, if you're enjoying our content, you can follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you think this is good, we hope you do. It's valuable. Please give us a review on iTunes. Give us your feedback. Um, anonymous questions, submit to the website. If you like to donate, help people find recovery, you can go to the website as well, unashamedunafraid.com. Um, become an outsider. What we do with that money is we want to kind of give value for value, as I would say, as my Kirk my friend Kurt Franken would say. And um, so bonus content, um, some other cool additional things um, you can look there at the website. So bonus content with these guys was super cool. Talked more in depth kind of about their recovery and their process. Um, And also you get to help people in recovery. We are a nonprofit organization and we take all the money and we create scholarships for people to get treatment. So we invite you to become an outsider. And um, if you don't believe in miracles, or you do and just want to hear another one, (laughs) we invite you to listen to this. Chris, Marilyn, this is cool. Hey, good to be here. Hey, great to be here. (laughs) So we were like talking before recording, we just fell into kind of like this natural pause. And then we were like, okay prayer and time to go. So here we are. So um, you guys are doing some incredible stuff as far as sharing your story and um, your blog, right? You're blogging about it. And um, so we've, we've told everyone, you know, where they can kind of find that. We'll, we'll talk about some of that in the bonus content, but um, just right. Start by just telling us the story. Like, where did this all start for you? Well, um, I was born in Northern California. I was adopted as a baby and um, grew up in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And um, I was what I lovingly call a box checker. And I was baptized at eight. I was a deacon at 12, deacon quorum president, teacher's quorum president, first advisor in the priest quorum, missionary, temple marriage, and... You know, I checked all the Check, boxes. check, 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 you, check. Yes, sir, you got that right. But um, the backstory really is that around the age of 11, two things happened to me. Um, I discovered porn, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a fairly old guy, so this was just magazines. Um, but I discovered that with a friend of mine, a buddy at school, and um, honestly, I was hooked just from the start. But at the same time, I was I suffered some abuse from an assistant scoutmaster, mm-hmm. which went on <clears throat> probably I'm sexual abuse, uh, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. which went on probably for a year and a half or so, maybe two years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a long time ago. Um, and I never told a soul. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I looking back, I could have told my mom. My mom was way cool. She was awesome. 
My dad and I never really got along. That's a whole different story. But my mom was a saint, and she would have supported me and loved me no matter what I did and no matter what I told her. Yeah. So I could have, but... But the shame of abuse is so big, right? right? It's your fault that it happened. Yeah, complete shame. So, you know, 11 years old, I'm thinking, okay, part of me saying this is not right. This, you know... And the other part of me is like, this feels really good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm obviously, you know, I was conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it went on for a while, but, you know, I never told a bishop, never told my parents, never told a teacher, never told anybody. In fact, the first person I told was Marilyn after we'd been married how long? Almost 30 years. Oh, so almost 30 yeah. years into our marriage. Is when I actually told her that that had happened. Yeah. So I just had stuffed it down. Um, so that, along with the introduction to porn, and so, you know, I did things like, uh, I, you know, we moved to Southern California. In fact, that's Marilyn and I have known each other since ninth grade. <clears throat> uh, I went to church together, you know, we're friends. But moving to Southern California, so like there was a liquor store in every corner where we lived in Santa Monica. Uh-huh. And so magazines, you know, yeah. everywhere. I mean, I did things like we had a guy in our apartment that took Playboy. And the apartment mailbox, if you got magazines, they just went like in this bin type thing under the mailboxes. So I knew exactly every month what day his magazine would show up yeah. wrapped in the brown wrapper. But I would borrow it for a couple of days and then put it back. But this is the kind of stuff I did. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I would, you know, I loved it. And that's what I, that's just what I did. You know, I masturbated like crazy. Mm-hmm. By the time I went on my mission, my mattress is pretty much a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom never said a word to me. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. But, so I'm going to steal James's question here. Okay. Or, or nope, you go, yeah. Um, so, like, as a kid, who was God to you? Like his personality, like oh, if you well, describe him like a person. No, growing, growing, growing up in the church in the sixties and and you know early seventies, um, God to me was part heavenly Father, but mostly disappointed in me. Yeah. Um, more of the Old Testament God than the New Testament God. Mm, well said. Um, you know, so once again, kind of a conflict there. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the church with the whole idea of, you know, working out your own salvation. Mm-hmm. And the entire time I thought, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I did, I did get sober, and I, you know, I didn't know I was sober. I just knew I had to quit doing this. Right. <clears throat> and I wanted to go on a mission. Yeah. I had wanted to go on a mission since I was a little kid. Yeah. And um, so probably a year before, you know, when I graduated from high school, I said, I just, I got to quit this. And I did. And I was sober for probably a year before my mission. I was sober during my mission. Didn't have any problems at all. Was able to put it away. With masturbation as well. Yeah. 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 I just mm-hmm. didn't, you know, just let it go. Um, and so served a good mission. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, 
<clears throat> and I, uh, you know, I got home and we got engaged about two months after I got home and got married. What seven months later? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we got we got married fairly quickly. It, when you got married, did you feel like that would solve the problem? Oh, definitely, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to assume you didn't tell Marilyn anything about um, any of this. I didn't tell her a word. Yeah. No, I did not share that with her before we got married or after we got married. And but did I, you feel like you needed to, or were you just like, hey, I'm married, this isn't my past, I'm good? No, I, uh, I didn't think I needed to, nor did I want to. I didn't mm-hmm. want to tell anybody. I hadn't told anybody at yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. And it was... I don't know, Marilyn probably recalls better than I when this first came to a head with us because as we got married, I think things were pretty good. Yeah. Um, but having children, um, starting a career, uh, the pressures of work, you know, we, we moved up here to Utah, um, and just the whole the whole weight of life yeah. Just started to weigh on me, and I just went right back to it. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, it, it, it got worse over time. Yeah. So, Marilyn, why don't we have you kind of jump in here and tell us a little bit about what, if you want to, you can give us a little bit of a childhood background, but, you know, more so kind of meeting him and then what it was like those first years getting married. Did you have any, you know, suspect things were off or wrong or... You know, kind of walk us through some of this. Okay. <clears throat> well, I grew up in Santa Monica in Southern California. Um, wonderful home, and I I was the box checker too. I did everything that I was supposed to do, um, which was fine. I, I was happy. Um, I met him, like he said, around ninth grade, and went through high school. We were always just best friends. He would ask me about girls and what do you think about this one? And I think all along I really did love him, but I didn't want to admit it. And so anyway, went through high school and um, wrote him on a mission as well as other boys that I knew. Oh, um, look at that. You, you were kind of telling the story like you were like, he was the cool one. And I was just on the sideline hoping someday he'd see me. Well, I mean, it's not his mission. You know, there were, there were guys. But. That's kind of it. <laughs> but anyway, um, he got home and um, yeah, within seven or eight months, we got married. And, you know, I, I think at first I thought, you know, everything was great. But over time, um, I kept thinking, what is normal? I mean, what is normal for any of us, you know? Um, but I didn't think it was normal. Um, we, we just lacked that closeness um, that I wanted so much and couldn't figure out why. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the years... Well said. When, as the years went on um, and we started having children, um, I was wrapped up in that. Um, wanting to have a relationship with him, you know, aside from the kids, you know, and get closer. Um, he he didn't want a lot to do with me after our daughter was born for the first year or so. Um, I 
thought that was really unusual, no intimacy or anything. Meaning he didn't want anything to do with you sexually. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I was nursing the baby, you know, and all the things that go in with that. And, you know, I later find found out that he didn't find me attractive, which I didn't know at the time. Um and you know i was just i was just busy raising children and so i just put it on the back burner and um you know as as a little time went further um i would get oh just inklings that something wasn't right here i remember one time at night he hadn't come to bed and i went downstairs in our home and i saw him in the office on the computer and i i just knew what he was watching and i knew that wasn't that wasn't right and um you know, he wa- he brought home some videos and things and wanted me to watch him with him, and I didn't really want to do that. But in order to get intimate with him, he wanted me to watch the video with him, and that hurt a lot. I'm thinking, mm. you know, mm-hmm. can't you just want me for me, mm. you know? Mm. And so... Um, our well, I mean, we can, we can pause on that. Yeah, yeah. Just that. There you go. <laughs> that moment alone, the heaviness of that. Those right are the out. feelings that that I was having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we. I can I'll, keep going I if know, you want. Just, I just. <laughs> I I needed to let that sit for a minute. Yeah. I think to honor your story and and what you've been through, because because I know you've had healing since then, but, um, you know, we have listeners who are still there. Yeah, that they're still kind of at that injunction, and it's like yeah. this pressure to be like, well, I, I don't know, am I supposed to be? I guess I, I guess I should be a better object, mm-hmm. you know. And and but then having just the shame and and kind of feeling. Of well, that you always thing. feel like you're not pretty enough or thin enough or you know mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. all those things that go through your head. You know, I'm just not good enough, you know, for him. Yeah. And that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of go back, Chris, jumping at this point in time, like where's your mindset at this point in time? Because for most men, particularly active in church, like hiding it from the spouse is key part of the addiction process, right? Right. And so tell us about kind of like you're bringing it in into the marriage being like, well, hey, maybe I can kind of get her on board with this. Like, tell us where you were at kind of that point in time and what you were thinking. Well, I mean, it obviously didn't work. Um, and I, I mean, I could tell that she was upset. I mean, we reached a point um, a few years later um, where I, you know, she and I finally had the talk. And I didn't really come clean. I mean, it wasn't like full disclosure or anything at that right. point. She, I just admitted that I had a problem, and she knew it. So even a couple it, years previous, when you're co-nursing, hey, let's watch some porn together, you still are like, oh, I'm not addicted. I just thought this would be fun right. for us. exactly, exactly, yeah. I didn't consider myself addicted to anything. This is where I joke on here that we need to have like a denial bell. Yeah. Like when, when someone's talking in denial and about denial, like this bell goes off, like in case you thought. So, and I just stopped there because it speaks to, right, that mindset, right? Yeah. That just, you know. Oh, yeah. This is, this is not a problem. <laughs> this is just me. Me, me yeah. being me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so I guess the question I want to ask you on that, like that moment of denial is, a lot of addicts, myself included, will talk about the person they were deceiving 
the most was themselves. Sure. So like at that point in your story, like, did you know you were deceiving or had you deceived yourself so much you just didn't even go there? Um, I probably knew it, but I didn't admit it. Mm-hmm. Admit it to yourself. To myself yeah. or to anybody else. And I said, we, we reached a point as this kind of continued. And, and so there was this underlying current in our marriage mm. where she knew I had this problem. I was at that point hiding it mm. all the time. I mean, I was a really good liar. Um, and there was just this undercurrent of tension, of distrust on her part and disengagement on my part. So she made the comment more than once to me that, you know, she felt like she was living with a roommate instead of a husband. So that's kind of where we ended up. I was. (laughs) Accurate. Yes. (laughs) Accurate, yeah. I I just want to ask, um, Marilyn, you know, um, did this? Do you feel like this affected your relationship with Heavenly Father over this, over the course of these years? What, and yes, no. Oh what, yes, yes. And and how? Uh, well, I didn't. I think growing up, I you know I knew he was there, but I did. I utilized him. No. Um, did I go to him? You know, with feelings that I had. Not really. Um, kind of feeling a little bit like Chris. I think disappointed maybe in me that. You know, you're not supposed to be putting up with this. You know, yeah. why are you? And so, so is, it's all your fault. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, my relationship wasn't where it needed to be and should have been yeah. with him. So yeah. I, I know one of the keys for women in recovery, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, is like they cross this line of empowerment. Like, and so I think you just described the lack of empowerment there. Like, God's disappointed in you because you shouldn't be putting up with this, but you are. And so I guess my curiosity question with that is, what was going on that you did put up with that? I think, and I've thought about it a lot, I think that I was feeling like, what do I do and where do I go from here? And I think I thought that um, because I didn't know what to do, I didn't do anything. I just kind of buried my head in the sand, pulled the covers over my head, you know, and just thought, I'm just going to not do anything and see what happens. Well, it just kept happening and it just kept getting worse. And it was, it was hard. Fortunately, I had some really close friends that helped me talk about it. You know, not that they would know how I felt because they weren't going through the same thing, but at least I could get it out and usually say, this is how I feel. Just listen to me. Yeah, that's actually rare. Wow. That's a a good thing. Yeah. Tender mercy to use those words. Grace. Exactly. To have them kind of intervene in your life. Yeah. So, Chris, tell us, so like height of your addiction... What does the acting out look like? like well, daily, multiple times a day, once a week. Yeah, I mean, it It was at the height of my addiction. It was 24-7. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we reached a point a number of years previous to my recovery 
where we, as I said, we finally, I kind of, I kind of fessed up, mm-hmm. and we we discussed it. Once our bishop talked to him, he said, "Well, just stop it." Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we know how that turned out. Yeah. And then the next time I went to see him, he took my temple recommend, and that didn't solve my problem at all because I didn't care if I had one or not at that point. And I was in church every Sunday. I was filling callings. I was teaching elders quorum. Yeah. I was, you know, serving as young men's president. I was, I was doing all this stuff, but I was doing it because I was supposed to, out of obligation. Um, you know, Marilyn's going to church. I will be there with her. I mean, part of me, and this is this sounds weird, and we've talked about this. Part of me has always, big part of me, has always had a testimony in the church of the gospel. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't founded or grounded in the right place, but I always had that testimony. And even in the middle of the worst parts of my addiction, I never lost that. Yeah. I just thought I was going to hell, and I didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, I'm I'm toast, and it is what it is, and I give up. I give yeah, up, God. Yeah. You know. So, so, what were those worst places and spaces? <laughs> Tell us what what did that look like for you? Yeah. So the that the height of my addiction, uh, really, the worst part of it uh, happened after our kids were grown and out of the house. So it was just the two of us, <clears throat> and you know, at that point, I was getting older. Um, you know, late 50s, mid to late 50s. And so probably, and I don't even know exactly, five or six years prior to my hitting rock bottom, um, my addiction became physical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone to some strip clubs. I was out in Reno with some guys from work and, you know, went to a strip club out there. So it's just the next stage and it's progression. Mm-hmm. But I was watching porn. I mean, when I got a smartphone, you know, that was porn nirvana, right? I mean, it's in my hand 24-7. And I was watching it at work and just, you know. Anyway, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody knew it. And uh, so it got physical. I mean, as I said, strip clubs and then... Uh, massage parlors and mm-hmm. escorts. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, at that point, I'm paying all the bills. Marilyn, you know, probably for her own safety, I'm, I'm guessing, and as we've talked about it since then, but she kind of was a little bit disengaged from me. Mm-hmm. Because you're still and, in this. You're still in this. I know. I know. There's something going on. We've kind of talked, but I've. I have no idea what to do. No. So you're just frozen in the I trauma. Mean, of this. We had gone um, to a twelve-step meeting, you know, and, mm-hmm. and got involved in that. And I, you know, and he, unbeknownst to me, and I realized, you know, he he didn't care. He was going for me. And you know, they go, and then you separate. You know, he goes his way, I go mine in there and it I just felt um kind of separated and not 
you know, in, uh, what did you talk about, you know, and stuff. I, I, did, I wanted to be in there and here. So that was disappointing. And every way I turned, I would tell him, like, you know, re- write in a journal, write your feelings down. Oh, no, I can't do that. Someone would read that. I said, no, no one would read it, you know, just do it. No. So I just got more and more discouraged, you know. Yeah. I tried to do things, and it just seemed like it was yeah. just not working. Yeah. yeah, and we we went to a series of ARP twelve step meetings, um, sponsored by the church. Right, but you were just, you were just going to I was check go, the box, I, right? Exactly. Make her happy. I was yeah. there for her. I did not want to be sober. I did not want to recover. I was there because she wanted me to be there. Mm-hmm. Period. And then I I actually spent some time seeing a counselor. Um, at LDS Family Services. And I just thought he was a clueless idiot. <laughs> I mean, he did so nothing. You were, you were just he did trying nothing to pull the wool for over me. His eyes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So the whole thing was work. a waste of time because, you know, I had no intention of getting better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. And I, I got to the point where, you know, I would just ask him, please tell me, you know, tell me when you do things like that, you know, what I had no idea about the physical stuff, no mm-hmm. idea. But he he never would. He just never would. And it was weird how I always would know. I could mm-hmm. tell mm-hmm. when he, you know, he wouldn't come to bed at, at night and he'd be in the bathroom or something. He'd always take his phone with him. I knew what was happening there. You know, and I just, I always had these feelings that I know what's going on. Yeah, I have so many wives express that intuition. And I think of it now. So, like, I have a three and a six year old. And, like, when they try and lie to me, right? Like, my three year old, it's like, did you eat that chocolate bar? No. No. And it's like all over his hands and face. <laughs> like, good lie, buddy. Like, I think as addicts, so often we think we're fooling the world. And I think because we're not confronted, we then believe that. Like, I've never met an addict who didn't say they were the best liar in the world, myself included. Like, we all say that. But I think really it's like just this sad commentary that it's like, no, like everyone sees you fading out of color into black and white. Like, just because you're not confronting him didn't mean you didn't know. Right. So, so it's just got more and more physical. Um, I I was spending money we didn't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Part of my recovery was to actually sit down and kind of calculate the money I spent on sex, and it had to be you know fifty grand or so mm-hmm. over a five or six year period. Mm-hmm. Now you know for some people fifty grand's nothing. For me, it was that's a boatload of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In retirement now, I would like to have that back, but. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but I was past feeling, hmm. literally, literally past feeling, um, and it's hard to explain unless unless you've been there. Mm-hmm. But I would come home. I would, you know, leave work early on a Friday and visit an escort, and then come home. Hi, Marilyn. How you doing? I mean, I'm just I'm totally faking life. I'm faking life in church. I'm faking life at work. I'm faking life with her and our kids and our grandkids and our friends. Yeah. Um, and yet inside, I'm just, I'm a complete, I'm living in a dark hole. I just, I, I, 
described it as living in this rut, and it was getting deeper and darker, and my addiction is just throwing, like, sewage on top of my head. And it was horrendous. Did you start to—so you talked about not wanting to get better. This sounds like maybe you started to— Well— Was this pain enough to want you to make to— No. Yeah, okay. No, it wasn't. Well, so the question I'm just dying to ask is, like— Okay, well, then how did recovery start? (laughs) How did rock bottom happen? What happened? So, to try and make this... Brief. Brief, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Um, I had honestly, I had fantasized on a few occasions about running away from home. Mm -hmm. I did not want to commit suicide. Um. But I did not want to be living my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And and you know we had a, we had, I, Thursday was my day off from work. I was getting texts from work, and and work was I hated my job at that point. Really, I hated myself. I hated everything. Um, and um, that Thursday evening, we were, it was December, so we're decorating the Christmas tree downstairs, and and some of the lights don't work. And for Maryland, this is the end of the world. Like, we have to have the lights work. And so we have this little argument about the lights. On Maryland's, the stu- like, not even denying it. She's like, correct, that was the end of the world. <laughs> it's, <laughs> true. it's true. Yeah, she's taking it. Yeah. And she said, just go upstairs. I'll do it myself. So I walked upstairs because I—and we're honestly, we're both very non-confrontational people. It's not a good combination sometimes because even when she confronted me, I would just shut down. Yeah, I'm not having yeah. this argument. And it I'm took not all the having the this for discussion. you to confront him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And most of the time, it, when we have a disagreement or something, that the porn stuff was underlying every yeah. time. That's yeah. what it wasn't it's really that the lights were not working on the. Tr- I was just not happy. She was just him. mad at me. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And so I went upstairs, I went to bed, I had to be early, uh, to work early, so I get up at like 5 o'clock, I'm driving up the freeway, I remember it as if it was yesterday, and I'm talking to myself on the freeway at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, do you have enough guts to do this? Oh yeah, I'm out of here. I mean, I just, I literally lost my mind. So I'm having this talk to myself, I get to work. About running away. Yeah. yeah, and by the time I get to work in downtown Salt Lake, I am convincing myself to do this. So um, I called the credit union. How much money can I take out of my savings in one shot? And they tell me. But if you go to a different branch, you can do this like every branch. I'm thinking, okay. So I need, you know, I can pick up about forty grand out of my savings. And so I'm formulating this plan, and somewhere in my head I can see myself living on a beach somewhere, and I can just indulge my addiction as much as I want, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. And so this is kind of my fantasy that's going on in in my mind. And so about 12.30 or so, I told my assistant manager uh, at my store, I was a store manager of Smith's Food and Drug. And um, 
I said, I'm going to lunch. And I put name badge, keys, all my stuff in my desk drawer. And I walked out. I went to four branches of the credit union. I stopped at McDonald's for lunch. I actually called her to make sure she wasn't home, which she wasn't. And I said, you know, just, what are you doing? I might be late from home from work, got some stuff going on. And I ran home, ran in the house, packed a little bag, packed ran little out, bag. bought a burner phone at Walmart, and headed to Vegas. So I drive to Las Vegas, and I check in to this horrible, horrible motel on Fremont Street. <laughs> and the TV didn't work. I mean, it was pretty gross. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to spend too much money on a hotel. Stupid. <laughs> anyway, so so I and then that's where the denial bell is going yes. off right now. Yeah, ding, yeah, yeah, ding. yeah. So anyway, and so I I walk down the street to a casino, get some get some dinner, go back, watch some porn on my burner phone that I bought, had shoved my phone off. I'm thinking they can track me with my phone, and ended up going to the Palomino Club, and spent the, spent most of the night there until about one thirty two in the morning. Dropped about twelve hundred dollars, <laughs> um, and then I got online and found an escort and went and spent an hour with her and went back to the this crappy motel and then I tried to sleep and I couldn't sleep because once again the logic side of my brain is debating with the stupid side of my brain like how are you really going to make this work where are you going to go what are you going to do. Blah, blah, blah. But I guess I finally fell asleep. I wake up sometime in the morning. I don't know what time it was, honestly. Uh, and I could see it was light because they got blackout curtains on the window and there's lights seeping in on either side. And I'm laying on my side and I'm sick. I mean, I cannot describe how sick I was. Physically my, sick. Physically sick. My head felt like I was in a vice. And I do not get migraines. I don't get headaches. Really, ever. And I had this massive headache. And my stomach was churning, and I literally could not get out of bed. I was stuck in bed. And I laid there thinking, what happened to me? Because, you know, no drugs, no alcohol, ever. I never, ever was tempted by those two guys. So I don't know why I got sick. There's no physical reason for me being sick. But I was down for the count. And I laid there most of the day until the early afternoon. And I'm laying there <clears throat> thinking, what am I going to do? And this little voice literally comes into my head. Like the clouds parted, a little ray of sunshine. And I hear, call Marilyn. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going there. Yeah. Um, and so I laid there for a few more minutes, and I hear it again. Call Marilyn. Um, no, 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 no. Third time, call Marilyn. And that was the first time I'd even thought about her in two days. Um, and this I mean, was I, your rock bottom, right? This was my rock bottom. I mean, I was... Yeah, I thought I was dead. How, how I, long ago was that? This was December of 2016. Okay. Yeah. December 10th, to be exact. That's Saturday. And so I called Marilyn. 
And as soon as she answered the phone, I started crying. And I said, I'm sick and I need help. When and was I just the last bawled like cried? a baby. Oh, well, I hey. cried. I cried today. No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> even before that. <laughs> had, had you cried I'm in front saying. of her? I mean, it sounded like you were so no. past feeling. You were so numb no. and checked out. I didn't. No. Had you expressed a lot of emotion to her prior to that? No. Can oh, you no. remember the time he cried before that moment? Oh, probably when our kids were born, but he just didn't cry. He just didn't. No emotion. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. very little. So you're crying and I need help. Come get me. Yeah, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and I need help. That's exactly what I said. And she said, where are you? And I told her I'm in Las Vegas. And anyway, and... Uh, What's going through your mind? Well, no, not anyway. <laughs> so, Marilyn. I was just going to say, I'm, I probably used a couple swear words in there, like, you know, where the, I heard you, you know. Um, so, you know, at that point, I Well, so what happened when he just didn't come home? Okay, so I expected him, you know, 7.30-ish time doing stuff, you know, at home, and I'm not, that's not unusual for him to be late, and so when nine o'clock came and he hadn't come home yet, I thought, well, maybe he's at work doing stuff. And so I got involved in other things. And then at 10 o'clock, I'm thinking, no, something's not right here. So I called the store and they said, no, I think he's left. We haven't seen him. He left at lunch. Yeah. So they said, and I said, okay. So then I called my neighbor, who I'm real good, good real close with. And she says, I'll come over right away. So she came over and sat with me, and we talked for a little bit, you know, and I called the store back. I said, I, you know, I don't mean to be a pest, but I can't. He's not come home. And at that point, they were really upset. And they said, let, let me check his office. I said, go to the parking lot and check in, see if his car's there. And they said, they'll do that. And so they called me back, and they said, you know, he, he's not here. So at that point, I was pretty, you know, it was around 11.30, quarter to 12. I'm thinking something's, something's wrong. So I called our um, son and then our daughter, and our daughter said, Mom, check the accounts and see if he's used a credit card to, you know, we can track him. So I got on there, and everything was okay until I glanced at the savings account, and I saw four 10,000 withdrawals. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, somebody has taken him and extorted money from him. And, you know, I had no clue what was going on. So I called the police. They came over, um, stayed with me until 5 in the morning, just said that a detective would be contacting me. At that point, our son had come back from going downtown where his store was, and there's a lot of seedy places down there that he went in every place he could think of in the parking lot to see if his car was there. And he stayed with me. And then at nine in the morning, we went to the bank, closed that account, moved all the money over that I'm not losing another penny here. And um, just, I didn't know what to do. It was a horrible feeling thinking he's lying on the side of the road somewhere. They've dumped him, you know, and I'm never going to see him alive again. And, um, you know, at around oh, 2.30, I think it was quarter to three, I get this phone call and I didn't recognize the number, but I figured it might be the, the police officer, you know, calling yeah. me back again. Yeah. And that's when he he's, was crying and said, you know, please come get me. And so when he told me where he was, I immediately, those signs went right up, Fremont Street, 
So fortunately, our our son's mother-in-law, who's just a dear friend, was sitting with me, and she's on her phone making arrangements to fly. So we're flying down to the airport, get to the airport, get to the counter, and we're running because the plane took off at quarter to four, and we're there like 325, and I thought, we're not going to make it. And I told him, don't leave. I'll be there in just a little bit. And the lady at the counter said, um, that flight's been delayed. And I thought, oh, thank you, Heavenly Father. What mm-hmm. a tender mercy that was, because I was so afraid he might leave. We get on the plane. We get there. We get our rental car. The guy says, where do you want to go? I told him. He goes, really? And I went, yep, that's where we want to go, because I thought, I know what he's thinking, because I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there, and it's in a really bad part of town. And so his car's there. We park. Chris I made, is just over here yeah. smiling like, oh, yeah, I was messed up. Yeah, <laughs> really. You know, and the light's flashing from across the yeah. street's hotel, you know, and I thought, oh. Anyway, so he let me in. I knocked, or I called him first, because I thought he's not going to open the door unless he knows it's me. And I went in, and... There on the floor was the bag with all this money in it and stuff. And that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, he has planned this all. And so we packed him up, got him in the car, got him in the back, gave him a bag to throw up in if he needed it, and off we went and drove back to Salt Lake, went through a horrible snowstorm. And poor Vicky had never driven in snow from California. And we get back, we go right to the hospital. And I took him to the hospital to get checked out because I thought something's not right here other than, you Mm -hmm. know, and tried to tell the doctor, you know, what was going on and stuff. And, you know, the psychologist came in to try and find out if he was suicidal and all those things. He told me I was depressed. (laughs) Like, who knew? (laughs) Good call, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So we got home probably 5 o'clock in the morning and went right to bed. And then at 10 o'clock in the morning... I hear this phone ringing, and I thought, what is that? And it was that stupid burner phone that he'd bought. And I went out and got it. There was nobody there. And he slept until like 4 o'clock that afternoon. I think they'd given him some things to relax him. And my son came over and counted the money and then took it to his house. And meanwhile, while he was doing that, he got the phone, the burner phone, and said, Mom, there's a lot of stuff on this. And he said the hardest thing to tell me was that that it had turned physical and that he was seeing, he saw somebody down there. And you could have hit me with a ton of bricks. Because you didn't know about any of the physical no, stuff. No, not at all. Point. I thought he was just looking at stuff, you know, and then, and then I felt like such a fool. Where have I been? You know, why didn't I think that was going on? Yeah. Here I am saving him. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, he got up at four that afternoon. I said, you better eat something. And so he did. And after he ate, he said he just felt horrible. So I said, well, go back to bed. And then when I went in to check on him, he just kept crying and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, at that point, I knew what he was so sorry about. And that's when I said to him, you cheated on me, didn't you? And he said, yes. And he said, my heart's beating out of my chest. Will you take me back to the emergency? And I said, Sure. So back we went, and they had to. Um, he was having the. Dude, so you did. You just did this all at once. You went like oh, Alma yeah. the Younger style on oh, this. Yeah. Like saw Paul. Oh, like yeah. you weren't messing around, yeah. man. Bad dude. When Chris hits it, he hits it hard. Yeah. And so he was having AFib, and they had to shock his heart. 
you know, and I'm telling the doctor, well, this is what he did and all this stuff. And he goes, oh, no, that wouldn't cause it. I thought, yeah, it would, because he's never had a heart issue ever. So at this point, you know, our kids came. Um, they gave him a blessing. My daughter looked at me and she said, Mom, and she's got these tears. And she said, if dad won't get any help, you can't stay with him. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. I knew that. I just didn't want to hear it out loud. She was giving you the reality. She was. Yeah. She was. And um, yeah, so we left the hospital, went home. Um, and the next morning, I had to go get a prescription for him. And our friend Vicki came over and sat with him because I didn't want him to be alone. And I went and got it and came home. And our daughter, Kristen, meanwhile, had been on the phone, calling, trying to find a place. Because she said, Dad needs to go to an inpatient place. He can't do this twice a week thing, you know, and he's got to do intense therapy. And I knew that. Um, and that's when she found Desert Solace in St. George mm-hmm. and talked to um, Mark. And he said, hey, I've got an opening. So when she came over all that afternoon... Um, she said, Dad, Mom, I found a place. And when she told us it was in St. George, we both kind of went, oh, you know, I didn't really want him that far. But I knew that if he didn't, I could just go over and maybe get him, you know, if it was somewhere local. Mm. There, it was a commitment. And I knew that this is something that we had to do. And so within an hour or so, we were packed, and off we went again, me and Vicky, Thelma and Louise, down the highway, taking Chris to get better. So what was this like? I don't know how to say it other than now I'm with the younger experience. Like, so through this whole thing, like, what are you thinking? Like the denial breaks or you're just still numbed out or? No, well, I was numb. Because we I mean, left I, you at a ray was, of hope back in some dirtbag hotel on Fremont Street. Yeah, I, w- I was totally numb and shock. I mean, some of this, what she just described, those, you know, um, especially Sunday, Monday morning. I don't remember a lot about Monday morning, honestly. I've tried. I remember Kristen coming over and telling me about Desert Solace. I remember asking her, well, how much is it? And she told me, and I just went, oh, my gosh. Not a small number. Yep. Not a small number. And she said, Dad, you just took forty grand out of your savings. <laughs> you can spend some of that because you were just going to go waste it. And I said, well, yeah, yeah. you're right. But he was like a shell of a person at that point. I will. I will say this real quickly, that after I called her when I was sick in the hotel or in the motel, after I called her and she called me back and said, I'm going to come get you, I fell asleep to the point where the next thing I even remembered was her calling me saying she was at the front door. Like just that little tiny bit of confession or disclosure just saying I'm sick and I need help it's like now I could relax it was just a, that was a completely different feeling and that was just you know the beginning of it yeah I, but I even think that, that represents how heavy the truth was sitting on you oh my you gosh know, yes the reality of what you did exceptionally so yeah. um and then so yeah so we had we had to St George and we walk in the doors of Desert Solace which is an amazing rehab facility that specializes in sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, we walked in about, what, 8.30 Eight, or yeah. so? And I remember sitting in the, in the living room area, and Vicki 
is counting out cash to Mark <laughs> from my from my stash. Mark said that's the only time I've ever gotten paid in cash. <laughs> but anyway, and and I, I next thing I'm in my room and I remember laying in bed that night. I was sharing a room with a guy named Greg who was getting ready to go home in a week. In fact, I was with four other guys, and they were all gone within a week and a half of me arriving. Oh, wow. Um, But I remember laying on my side, looking out the bedroom door, and we're in a basement of this house. That's where the bedrooms and common area and stuff was. And I'm looking out the door, and the wall is pink because there's an exit sign at the end of the hallway where there's a door that goes out. And so I'm looking, just staring at this pink wall, and I remember thinking, what have I done? (laughs) You know? But I finally fell asleep, and I What have I done meaning with my addiction? Just with my life. With everything. Just with everything. You know, how how did I get to this place? Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I woke up the next morning, um, and I remember vividly thinking, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. This is it. Um, I'm, I'm, it. I'm, I'm sick. I know it. Um, and this is my chance to get better. And if I don't, I have no family. I, I have nothing. I have nothing left if I don't get fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, honestly, the first day of recovery, I was all in. And I know that's somewhat rare sometimes. <laughs> and uh, But I, I was all in from day one. Well, but I think your story is just, like, indicative of, like, that's how you needed to do it. I mean, that's well, that's because we can see now, and as you tell the story, right, like how God disrupted you, right? Yes. Like for you, it was like freight train style, right? Like he was going to make sure you heard him. Yeah, he, and, he stopped me yeah. in my tracks. Yeah. He really did. And I didn't know that at that time, obviously, or even early in recovery. But as I went through recovery, especially spending 90 days in, in that rehab center, Desert Solace, um, yeah, I, I have become convinced that he said, enough already. Yeah, This is the end of the line for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You know, once again, it's up to me to take it or not, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give you an opportunity to get better. One of the principles that I've learned in recovery that I firmly believe in is there are no accidents. Meaning, what has happened has happened. I cannot go change. I can't change my past. I can't do anything with it. I can acknowledge it. I can remember it. I can um, learn from it. Learn from it. It's just experience, and then I have to let it go. Yeah. So there are no accidents that way. But the other thing is, there are no accidents because things that happen happen. And I have experienced so many, you know, we call them tender mercies, since Elder Bednar gave that talk in 2005. Right. On this show, we just use the word grace. Right. Yes. And I prefer that. I prefer that word. Um, But there is so much grace uh, 
you know, when I, I, President Monson said, God is in the details of your life. Well, I'll tell you, as an addict, I never, ever, but even growing up in the church, I never believed that. I thought God was like, okay, here you go. You're on earth. Good luck. See you on the other side. <laughs> I mean, I thought that's the way the plan of salvation worked. And in recovery, I mean, I, I have learned more. Really, I learned more in 90 days and three months about myself, about who I really am, about my relationship with God and who He, we can't, we don't come close to understanding Him, but getting a better picture of who He really is and my relationship with Him and my Savior, my relationship with other people, especially with Marilyn. I mean, I learned more about those things and the depth of the gospel, the depth of relationships, the depth of life. Uh, in three months and I had in my previous 62 years. And I had more spiritual experiences in rehab than I had my entire mission because I was in a completely different place. And that first day when I knew I had to be there, I knew I had to be in recovery, um, and I chose into it full bore, but at the same time, I, I didn't know what it would be like. I mean, I'm in this, this place, right? I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. The, fir the first thing I did was equine therapy. You know, it's not like I've been hanging around horses my whole life. So this was all new. I mean, every day Having done was some a of new that, experience. That's kind of a trip. You're yes. like, okay, standing here with some horses is going to help me understand yes. my feelings. That's dumb. <laughs> then you get about an hour into it, and you're like, I didn't know. <laughs> I know, right? I cried. Yes. I cried. <laughs> my first equine therapy. Yeah, I, I did an intensive. was my first stop in, in therapy. So the one-week intensive outpatient here at Lifestorm, they do equine on day three. I remember walking there, and I even knew the therapist. I'd gone to the therapist of the equine as a kid. Yeah. And I remember going to the equine therapy, and I'm like, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's not but, how I felt when I left. So. But, I, but I didn't know what to expect. I had no yeah. preset expectation. Every recovery. day is yeah. different. But early on, I'm talking the first week or two, I discovered that this was going to be a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And that's what it became for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it was, I mean, it was life changing, obviously. Best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And what was cool, and Marilyn can talk about this, is part of Desert Solace's program is a weekly conference call with the wives. And she can talk about this, but her recovery, honestly, has been as dramatic as mine. No doubt. I, she, she is a no different doubt. person than she was. Well, that's a heck of an intro, Marilyn. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am back home, left him there, and um, thinking, now what am I going to do with the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I had lots of time to think about it, whether I was going to stay with him or not. You know, we were married 42 years at that point in, or so, 41 years. 
And um, I thought, I can't throw that away until I've totally exhausted everything that I can do to, you know, figure that out. So um, I just thought, well, Heavenly Father, I need some help. You know, I finally realized that's who I need to go to. Um, you know, I'd heard my whole life that the Savior knew, that knows how we feel, that's, that feel our pain. I never really believed it. And I, I, so I started my journey of prayer and scripture study and, you know, asking for help. So many tender mercies happened while he was there those three months for me. I mean, I was the girl who I knew how to pump gas, but I, he always did it. He always took care of the cars, everything. And I thought, okay, I got to pick myself up and put my big girl panties on and I can do this, you know? And that was, that was hard for me. And I had, like I said, my army of sweet people to be my, you know, confidants and, and be there for me was amazing. Um, everywhere I turned, there was somebody that wanted to help. And I let those people in. There were people I shared with you know, and I was careful. Going to church was really hard that first Sunday with him not there. I don't want to answer questions, you know, and all those things. Yeah. And you know what? I thought, it's okay. You know, I went, and I went right home afterwards. I didn't stay and visit with anybody. And it got easier and easier. Yeah. And, you know, when he came back, I think people thought he was working or something. They he goes, guy, they didn't even miss me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I learned to do things, you know, pay bills and do all that kind of stuff that he took care of. And I felt so empowered, like, yes, you know, mm -hmm. I can do this. Our first family weekend, um, we couldn't talk to each other. He wrote me letters and that was all. And for us, um, it was like six weeks, I think, before we saw each other. Mm-hmm. And that first family weekend, both the kids went with me. And the first time I walked in and saw him, the light in his eyes was back. Or maybe it never was until then. And I just saw a different person. Than the shell of the man that you picked exactly. up at some dumpy hotel in Fremont Street. I, I was just shocked. And we spent the that weekend doing activities um, as a family, a hike and, you know, Equine. Equine and all kinds of things. And I learned so much about He's me. Like, Check out what you can learn with these horses. I here. know. And it was frustrating for me because I had to try and get them to do things uh -huh. that yeah, yeah. I needed to do. And I I just wanted to kick them and say, come on, you know. But, it, you know, I learned that I, I step back, you know, sometimes. I don't want anybody to, um, oh, I don't know. I... I just didn't feel that good about myself. So I just, you know, I was always afraid that I would make a mistake or, you know, I didn't want to try. And and the, the people that we met, the other families that we met, it was just one thing on top of another that just kept building my confidence and helping me and bringing our family closer together. Um, I remember after seeing him, he had another, was it another month or 45 days or whatever? And I said, I just wanted to take him home. He said, nope, I have more work to do. And I knew that. Mm -hmm. I knew that. Um, 
but I just bring kept, down another you know, bag of money with your for the second exactly. half of exactly. And I bring had down, to bring yeah. down another gym bag full of ones. You know, and I and I my daughter said, "Mom, you've got to go see someone. You've got to talk about this." And yeah. so that's when she found um, David for us and for me. And yeah, they did an evaluation on me, and they said and David to Addo. Yes. So right, David, give us a last name. Let's give credit oh, where credits due. David, David Thompson. Thompson. David yeah. Thompson and Addo. Amazing okay. man. He's awesome. Not sure about him at first because you know you go in there and you start talking and everything and. They're on your side, you know. He's the one that's made all the made me hurt, you know, and everything. Yeah. So, but that was good, you know. I I started to talk. They evaluated me. Said I was depressed, and I thought, "Yep, that's I am," you know. And but going back and going back, I just realized, you know, I I am a daughter of my heavenly Father, and He loves me no matter what, and I'm worth a hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm I'm fine the way I am. And I put that on my mirror and looked at it every day. And, yeah. you know, worked through those things. Just, mm-hmm. you know, went through Christmas. It was hard for me not to have him there. But I got up by myself Christmas morning and went to church and sang in the choir. And my kids came over and we opened presents. We had a wonderful day. Yeah. So I made the the best of you know what i had to do for the months that he was gone work people were wonderful they all they kind of some of them knew that if i burst out into tears and went in the other room they'd know it's okay she she just needs a moment she'll be back yeah so i had such support wherever i went that's cool it was wonderful and and, and i mean we're going to get into more of the details of kind of some of this coming together in the bonus content but i, I think to wrap up like the episode here I, I think Chris, you said it so well, like this has been a spiritual journey for you guys. And, you know, a lot of times when we end the episodes, it's like what recovery resources were best, what were, you know, this and that. And your guys' story is like so big. And then it was like these just big epic moments and big, it's like you did it intensive for 90 days and you, you know, and so with it being a spiritual journey, I guess the way like I, I want to honor that story and and leave this episode is just to ask you guys this question um, and this is for both of you. Um, so Chris, you know, we can go with you first and say, what do you know about God and Christ now that you didn't know when you were sitting in that hotel on Fremont Street? Well, first and foremost, I know he loves me no matter what, period. <clears throat> Unconditional love. And I know sometimes in <laughs> in an elders' forum or a Sunday school class or in a class at BYU or whatever, that can be a topic of some discussion and disagreement. But my experience is that he loves me no matter what. I tried to run away from his love, literally, literally tried to run away from it. And what I discovered is... He stopped me. Why? Because he loves me. Um, That's it, period. He loves me. And I get to choose how I want to live in that love. I get to choose if I want to return that love. Um, I've learned that my ability to choose every single day is the most important thing that I have and the most important thing that I can do. Um, 
And so with that, because we're and unashamed, and we always ask with that. We, did, we didn't ask you your sobriety. Oh, my sobriety? Um, August, I don't even know the date. August of 2017, because I did slip and have a relapse a few months after I got home. And that's another story. Right. But we'll go there but, with bonus content. But, like, but keep I, going, but I keep going from about it. Christ. But, um, you know, once again, the same thing with the Savior. I mean, his atonement, you mentioned the word grace. Um, if I see grace anywhere in the scriptures, it's a big circle. If I see grace in the title of a book, I'm buying that book. I mean, I have experienced grace. And for me, my as I understand and experience grace, grace is his mercy, it's his love, it's his forgiveness. But even more important is it's his partnership with me every day. Um, I know one of the scriptures that kind of rubs me the wrong way is that, you know, the Savior's atonement, you know, Nephi talked about it, that we're saved by grace after all that we can do. And so growing up in the church, and I still think a lot of people think that's like, I got to really work hard, and then wherever I fall short, Christ will make up the difference down the road somewhere. And as Lynn would say, get out your pencil and paper and start writing. <laughs> because it, it is, it's BS, okay? All around that scripture, Nephi just says, believe in Christ, believe in Christ, believe in Christ, believe in Christ, multiple times. That, most of the time, sometimes, that's all we can do is believe. And that's what he asks us to do. He asks us to believe. And when we believe and we live like we believe, then all the blessings flow. It's very, very natural. I have discovered, once again, this is the gospel according to me, but the gospel is so much simpler than we make it out to be. Um, well, so Chris, I'll, I'll hit it with you point blank and then turn over to your wife. So <laughs> you've described it really well. And so my point blank question is, do you believe? Oh, yes. Very much so. Yeah. And just uh, and a side note, and since we're talking about God, is I when I came home, we met with our bishop, who's awesome. Uh, we're very blessed to have a very gracious, understanding, loving bishop. And I confessed to him something I said I would never, ever do my entire life, but I did with pleasure. And talked to our state president. We met him multiple times, had a court. I lost my membership in the church. That Sunday morning when we met with the High Council was one of the great spiritual experiences of my life. It was amazing. It's awesome. Well, well, we'll get into some of that in the bonus content. So, Marilyn, I want to give you that same question. What do you know about the Father and the Son now that you didn't know when you were driving down to Vegas to pick him up? Well, <clears throat> I think um, I never really... You know, delved into a lot about God. Um, just like I said, did all the things I was supposed to do as a kid and went to church. But when this all happened, I realized that 
I didn't know who else to turn to. And I thought, are you really there? Do you hear and answer my prayers? And so I started to pray to him and not so formally like I was taught as a kid. It's like, I'm talking like to my father and I need this help. And I started to feel like he is there. He does answer prayers. And I felt a calm and a peace that I I don't know if I ever felt before. Um, I knew that um, he would be there for me, that he would wrap his arms around me, and I would, I would just feel okay. Everything's going to be okay. And my Savior, um, I knew that he had died for me. I knew about the atonement. I knew all those things, but did he really understand what I was going through? And I came to realize that he does. And, uh, you know, and that I can tell him anything and that they love me no matter what. I used to try and tell Chris that when he was laying in bed crying. I said, whatever you've done, it's okay. It's not so bad that he won't love you. And, you know, reading scriptures like I'd never done before and find, you know, opening them up and seeing on the page the scripture that I read was just what I needed that day to get me through it. Um, I thought my life was over, you know, as I knew it at that point when he left. But since then, with all the scripture study and the praying and all that, he really was just the beginning of a wonderful life left. And that's okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It's okay. I want to thank you both for coming on. And sharing your epic journey with us. Thanks for having us. Chris, thank you. Love it. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. For uh, those of you who don't know, you can subscribe via email. You can follow us on social media at Unashamed and Afraid. If you have any anonymous questions, you can always submit them at the website. And we always invite you to become an outsider, as our outsiders are those who are accepted, as you two have talked about it a lot, bold and unashamed. And uh, you can do that by donating at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. We are a nonprofit. And all those proceeds go to fund people to go to treatment and therapy, as Chris just described here. So we love you. Thank you for listening. Um, if you found this valuable, please give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world judges us and people find us. And we want more people to find this message of hope. James, until next time, what should our listeners do? Stay unashamed and unafraid. Yeah!